This morning, I want us to look at a passage in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, chapters 18 and 19. And look at a question God asked Elijah. What doest thou here? As we look at this passage, we're going to see Elijah had prayed that it will not rain, and it did not rain for the span of three and a half years. God took care of Elijah with the ravens by the brook Cherith, and then after the brook dried up, he provided for him by going to a widow. After much time, he goes back to Ahab and challenges the prophets of Baal and had a great victory as God sends fire from heaven and kills the false prophets. And then we come to this account that almost seems like it doesn't fit. Because we see Elijah victory after victory after victory, and then all of a sudden we find Elijah sitting there depressed, discouraged, thinking he's all alone. And God comes and says, Elijah, what, what are you doing here? Too often in our Christian life, when we start experiencing victory, it's followed by defeat. I believe because many times... When we end up on those mountaintops, we start becoming a little too self-confident. And we start thinking, I can't fall. I'm doing really good. But beware, as soon as you think you're doing well in your Christian life, you're about ready to get tripped up, aren't you? Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll start at verse 41 and go through down through 19, verse 18. I know it's a lengthy passage, but if you would please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Get thee up and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go to now, and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass the end of the seventh time. He said, Behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Yet another great victory, is it not? Now let's see what happens. Chapter 19, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then the angel of the Lord touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came unto him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went on his strength of that meat forty days and forty nights in the Horeb in the Mount of God. And he came thither in the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain the prophets with the sword. 
And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the evening at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice into him saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel forsaken thy covenants, throw down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on the way in the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shebat of Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You ever find yourself sometimes after victory in a place like Elijah, where all of a sudden you feel all alone? Three points I want us to see this morning. We're going to see Elijah hides. Secondly, we'll observe God provides. And then we'll see God chides. You and I, Christian, need to learn to continue to follow God and stay in the fight. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we examine this passage this morning again, Lord, we'd speak to our hearts and we would be reminded of the importance of remaining faithful to you. And Lord, help us not to be discouraged as the prophet Elijah was, but to continue to find our strength and encouragement in you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is amazing to me, victory after victory after victory, God providing for three and a half years for the prophet as the famine is going on, and the famine gets worse and worse, obviously, as time goes on, God providing and giving him the strength to kill all the prophets of Baal. He prays and it starts to rain again. He sees all these victories, and yet when Jezebel makes a threat, the prophet runs. You ever think about that? And say, Elijah, what were you thinking? You have God on your side, Elijah. Look at all the victories God has provided. Elijah, why are you running from Jezebel? But let me tell you something. How often today do the wicked make threats and Christians back down? All the time. Whether this man who brought the package back was trying to intimidate us or not, really doesn't matter. Don't be intimidated. Years ago, we had a group come help the church go out on visitation. And when we came back, there was a man here ready to fight. Over receiving a package of information about the church, ready to fight. The world will try to intimidate you. I said this, I think, just last week, but I'll repeat it. The reason why your Havelock commissioners do not open their meetings with prayer is intimidation. They are intimidated because when they asked their lawyer, the lawyer said, if you open in prayer, you open yourself up for a lawsuit. Instead of saying, so be it, they said, oh, we're scared. Let's not do it. The wicked intimidate. It's amazing to me that we have all these policies about bullying, but yet bullying Christians is okay. 
Don't be bullied. Don't allow them to bully Christianity. You know, it's okay to talk negatively about Christians. You see all these articles being printed, you know, that Christianity is just a myth, and all those that believe it are, are just caught up in some myth and everything else, and that's okay. It's okay for the world to say, you're not allowed to pray in a public place. It's okay for the world to say, you're not allowed to mention the name of Christ. It's okay for the world to say these things and try to intimidate you. Christian, don't be intimidated by the wicked. Jezebel writes a little note to Elijah saying, basically, I'm going to make sure you're dead by tomorrow. And Elijah goes and hides. You know what he should have done with that note? Yeah, have fun with that. Throw it away. Because he has seen God provide. He has seen God give victory after victory after victory. And Christian, instead of trusting God, too often we're intimidated when the wicked says, don't you do that. I had a coworker once when I was working at Walmart, going through a bad situation. They came to me and, and talked to me about it. And I said, well, how about we pray about that? They're like, are we allowed to do that? See, why are we intimidated to pray at the workplace? Don't be. You're allowed to talk to each other, right? So how can they prohibit you from talking to God? I'm so sick of the world trying to intimidate us. But what's worse is we give in to it. Acts 2, uh, 4.29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant to thy servants, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Jeremiah 1.8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. The world wants to silence you. But, you know, running away doesn't change the circumstances. Look at verse 3. And when he saw that he rose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which is belonging to Judah, and left his servant there, he runs away, he just had some of the greatest victories of all time, but shouldn't he have realized that nothing is going to happen to him unless God allowed it? People try to run from problems. That's why I'm very cautious of church hoppers. Those people that are never satisfied at one church. They've got to go to this church, and then they come to the next church. And when somebody comes here and they want to unload on me all the problems of the last church they left, red flags are going up. Because you know what will happen in about two and a half years of them being here, if it takes that long? They'll find things that they don't like about us, and they'll be moving on. You cannot run from your problems. You know your problems will follow you. You know why? Because most times you are the problem, and I am the problem, and we need to change our attitude, change our heart. And so the problems tend to follow us. People wonder why that happens. Well, because until you're willing to change, the problem's always going to be there. So Elijah can run, but he's still scared, right? Should he be scared of Jezebel? Not after all God's already shown him and proven to him. No, he shouldn't be. And you and I should not be intimidated by this world. And by the way, if you and I are standing for truth and righteousness and something does happen to us, then praise God, I stood for right, was right anyhow. But I didn't compromise and I didn't capitulate to this world and I didn't give in to their intimidation. Just do it because it's right. But defeat can many times come after a great victory. How about the children of Israel? You know, they get into the promised land, and they march around this city, do this for seven times. Last day, do it. Uh, well, they march around seven times the last day. They blow the trumpets. The walls fall down. And that's pretty easy. Now we're going to go up against Ai. It's just a small little town. We don't even need to send the whole army. Just send a few up there. Man, this is so easy. 
conquering this land. This is a piece of cake. We got this. Was that not, is that not what the Bible tells us? Was sort of kind of, you get the idea that was the attitude of the army at this point? Then all of a sudden, what was it, 32 men die? It's either 28 or 32. I don't remember the exact number, but it was a lot of men died. And all of a sudden, Josh was on his face before God because what did we do wrong? What happened here? Lord, you brought us out. We had this great victory in Jericho. And God has to say, get off your face, Joshua. There's sin in the camp. You know, there should have never been the cockiness that said, we don't even need to take the whole army. This is so easy. We got this thing done. But before they went to every battle, they should have been asking God for direction and asking God for the victory because it's God who gave the victory. Do they really think that blowing their trumpets knocked the walls down? Hello? It was God who did it. But then, once they have this horrible defeat, all of a sudden Joshua realizes, I blew it. Got a little cocky. It was God who gave the victory, and it's God who's going to do it again. Now, God did give him the victory over AI and continued to give him victory. But how often in your my life, after all these great victories, do we tend to get a little bit of cockiness in us and think, I got this made? And then all of a sudden, we're flat on our face. I can't speak to it because the Bible doesn't make it crystal clear, but part of me wonders, is that kind of what happened to the prophet Elijah? God gave him victory after victory after victory to Elijah kind of thinking, man, I'm on top of the world here. And all of a sudden he gets this note from Jezebel and, oh my, my life is being threatened. I better go hide. Well, I will say this. We know this for sure. If he was truly still having his eyes on God, would that ever been his attitude? No. He would have taken it to God and said, God, you see this vain threat. And Lord, I know you're in control. So, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, God could have said, I want you to go hide. Or he could have said, don't worry, uh, Elijah, I got this under control. But do we see Elijah turning to God? No, we see him relying on his own strength, his own wisdom, and running and hiding. And that's when you and I know that we're about ready to fail, is when we stop trusting God and rely on our own little finite pea brains. Because I trust me, our little pea brains will mess it up. Right? But he was discouraged. Not just discouraged, but to the point of death. And it's amazing to me, verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down on a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my, my life. I am not better than my father's. You ever become so discouraged? It's like, you know what? I think better off dead than alive. I will tell you, Satan has many convinced of that. You don't believe it. Look at the suicide rate in our country. Satan has people convinced they're better off dead than alive. You know, the sad thing is, for a lost individual, they don't realize how bad it just got. Sometimes, Christian, we need to stop and think about the victories God gave because he's been provided by the ravens, a widow holding off the rain, fire from heaven, but now discouraged because of a threat. You and I, Christian, need to learn to be an encourager to other believers. You don't know what somebody else may be going through. Oh, it may be look like in their life they're sitting on all the mountaintops, but you don't know the discouragement that may be heading their way. And this is why, Christian, you and I need to be diligently looking for opportunities to be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
In the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, Paul writes these words. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul says, And he gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is ahead, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Be an encourager to others. Look for opportunities to build up and not tear down. So we see Elijah running and hiding. And I think many of us in our lives have been at some point where we've been that discouraged, where we just feel like, my life is worthless, I'm better off dead than alive. I think we can relate to the prophet Elijah. But you know, God's reaction to the prophet is quite amazing. The compassion and love that God shows in verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water in his head, and he did eat and drink and laid down again. And what do we see happen next? And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the eternity is too great for thee. Aren't you thankful God is a compassionate, loving God? God understands the prophet's weary. God understands he's tired. I mean, the man sleeping has to be waken up by the angel who just baked him a cake and made this food. You know, in the morning, if you're not the first one up and somebody's already frying the bacon, you know, that usually is what wakes you up, right? Or brewing the coffee, you smell that and it wakes you up, right? Well, here, he's making the cake, he's making the food, and it doesn't wake him up. The angel still has to go over and wake him up. Elijah, rise and eat. Made you some food over here. He didn't make him make his own food. He already provided it. He made it. And what's the prophet do as soon as he eats? Well, what a good Baptist do on a Sunday afternoon? Go back to sleep. And so apparently some time passes, and now the angel makes another meal and wakes him up again. Elijah, time to eat again. I'm glad we have a long-suffering God who shows us the grace and compassion when we need it. You know, he didn't go over there and kick Elijah and say, Elijah, what is wrong with you, man? You're over here complaining and sleeping and you're running from Jezebel. No, he takes care of his need first. I am thankful God understands the weakness of the flesh, aren't you? And he takes care of Elijah's need for rest and for food. By the way, God cares for you and God takes care of you. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But God understands the frailty of the fresh flesh. Psalm 103, 14, for he knoweth our frame, and remembereth that we are but dust. Remember, experience, Jesus experienced everything you and I do while he was here on earth. He knew what it was to be hungry, thirsty, weary, lonely, rejected. Hebrews 4, 15, we, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know what part of Elijah's problem was? He was exhausted. 
I know some people who don't know when to take a break. But there's times when the best thing you can do is rest. My wife reminds me of this. She says, you know, sometimes you just need to learn to turn it off and just take a break. I'm like, all right, what are we going to do next? Well, we're going to sit down, we're going to take a break. Okay, what are we going to do next? Some of you know what I'm talking about. By the way, when we go on a family vacation, you can ask her, it usually takes me about two days to be able to actually turn it off. Because, and, and that's typical of many people, by the way, but it usually takes you a little while to be able to turn it off. But I believe his exhaustion led to bad decisions. By the way, some people who are constantly running around exhausted, you're going to start getting weary and you may start making bad decisions just the fact that you haven't gotten enough rest. Now, I'm not saying be lazy people, but make sure you get adequate rest. It is important. Did not Jesus himself, when he was here on earth, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, he said to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. One has said, sometimes you need to come apart before you come apart. In other words, it's okay to take a vacation. It's okay to get away for a little while. It's okay to turn it off for a little while. Now, we shouldn't live in vacation mode. Okay, your vacation is to recharge you to go back into doing what you do. But part of the problem with the prophet is he was exhausted. But then we move on after he arises and eats, and we go down through verse 9, and he came thither under the cave and lodged there, well, let's go back to verse 8. And he rose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights into Horeb, the Mount of God. And he came hither in a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, this is the part where I believe God chides him a little bit. Initially, God cared for him, helped him rest, get the food he needed. But then, instead of getting back into battle, what's Elijah do? He goes to a cave and he's hiding there. And it says he went into strength of that 40 days and 40 nights. So he's hiding in this cave for quite some time, apparently. And God has to come to him and say, Okay, Elijah, what you doing here, buddy? Why are you still hanging out here? You see, sometimes if we don't get the proper rest and we get defeated, we kind of give the give up attitude, don't we? And so here, Elijah, instead of resting, getting the food, getting the nourishment, getting the strength and saying, Lord, thank you. It's time for me to get back in the battle. It's time for me to go back and stand up against this wicked Jezebel. He's like, you know what? That's a nice cave over there. I think I can camp out here a while. That's why I say don't get stuck in vacation mode. Don't get stuck saying, hey, I think I'll just camp out here a while. I'm not going to get back to work. I'm not going to get back at winning souls for Christ. I'm not going to get back into, you know, the things I need to be doing to serve God. But I think I'm just going to continue to take a break. Well, that's kind of where Elijah is. And now God has to come to him and say, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now we find out the attitude, the heart attitude of Elijah that has been part of the root issue the whole time. So let's go and read this together. And by the way, we're going to see that this is a common thread many times in our lives. Verse 10. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. 
and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life also to take it away. I call this the Elijah syndrome. Lord, I'm the only one left serving you. Everybody else has forsaken you. I'm very jealous for your name, but look at what the rest of the nation has done. Lord, nobody's serving you the way I am. I, only I, am left alone serving you, and they're seeking my life also. Really, Elijah? Yeah, but when you read those words, how many times have you thought those very words or thought that very thing? It's only me, God. Woe is me. You know what that's called, folks? Pride. You know what happened to our dear prophet Elijah? He got a little bit of pride. Then God says, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord is not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. What an example this is. That God says, Elijah, God can do all those great works. The earthquake, the fire, the wind. Is God not in control of all those? How often do Christians think that that's the only way God works? In other words, some churches, you know, are always looking for the big experience of God, you know, the big thing that God is going to do, right? Sometimes God's working is not some big miraculous show, but it's something simple and small. But let me say, many times when God is speaking, it's in that quiet time in his word that still small voice of the Holy Spirit convicting us and showing us the way God wants us to go. But we live in a very noisy society that doesn't like quiet. Christian, we need to learn to be quiet. Now that can be applied many ways. One, we don't always have to have noise going on. I know some people that have constant ringing in their ears, so they always have some kind of white noise just to help so they don't go insane because of listening to in their ears all the time. Get it? But the world loves to have something going on. I remember one time at Walmart, we were unloading truck and a manager was helping and he said somebody turned the radio on because he couldn't stand the silence. And he admitted it. But Christians, sometimes we're too busy to listen to the still, small voice of God. And I think, yes, it's also, it was showing us that you know, God's power and all these things But I think it's also a reminder to Elijah and to us, don't get so busy in the big things because, boy, these were pretty big victories he was experiencing. Don't let all that noise distract you from the still, small voice of God. While we all have busy lives, it's important we have some quiet time with God alone. A time when we can read his word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and a time when we can be praying to him in quiet alone. When I study, I like to study in quiet most of the time. Very rarely will I turn on music while I study. I like quiet. When I'm reading my Bible, I like quiet. We need to sometimes learn quietness. Did we not sing a song, Blessed Quietness? How many started feeling nervous because of the quietness? Thank you for being honest, because it's probably more like half the room. Why do we get so nervous at quietness? Think about it. God comes to him in a still, small voice, 
And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice into him and said, again, the same question, what doest thou here, Elijah? Well, Elijah has his canned answer by this point because he says the exact same thing he said the last time. Boy, it is not kind of just like you and I sometimes. We have our mind made up and we have an exact answer and it doesn't matter who asks us the question, we're going to give the same answer over and over again because in our mind, that's what's right. I have been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. Woe is me. I added the woe is me part. Then God says, go, Return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, to Ma- uh, comest, anoint Hazel to be king of Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mehalah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass, that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. Him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Now, God could have stopped there. Because God has already said, I'm going to have a new king in Syria, a new king in Israel, and a new prophet is going to take your place, Elijah. Remember, Elijah is saying, Lord, I'm better off dead than alive. And so what does God do? He has Elijah appoint his replacement, Elisha. I want you to think about when we get defeated and we say, God, I quit. What if God would say, okay, you tender your resignation, I accept. Be careful what you say. But in that studying to be quiet and hearing God speaking, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 says, you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. But God wasn't done with Elijah. Look at verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouse which has not kissed him. God is chiding the prophet saying, by the way, don't come to me whining saying you're all alone because I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You know what we need to be reminded? When we feel alone, we're not. God always has a remnant to serving him. By the way, sometimes we may feel alone because we're neglecting and forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. May I say... Part of the reason why we should have faithful church attendance attending every church service is because the gathering together is a reminder I'm not alone in this. I look around and I see brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the same battle I am. That should help strengthen me, should it not? That'll help prevent the Elijah syndrome of woe is me, I'm all alone. No, I'm not. And may I say there is nothing you have ever experienced in life that is not common to man. Others have experienced the same thing you have. And... Part of the reason why we are to have a fellowship and encouragement as believers is because we can help others going through an experience that we have personally experienced ourselves. Elijah, Elijah you think you're all alone. I have 7,000 that still haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Now that's pretty amazing considering that Ahab and Jezebel are on the throne and they are pushing this paganism on the people. But there are some who say, I don't care what you say, king and queen. We are going to follow God. 
And sometimes we might think we're the only ones out there following God. But remember, there are other brothers and sisters in Christ in this world who are facing much more danger, much more persecution than I, and countries that they can't even speak the name of Christ, but they are more faithful to him than you and I are. We are not alone. And let's never get into the Elijah syndrome of, woe is me, it's only me. Now, yes, God was merciful to Elijah. Yes, God provided for Elijah. But I can't imagine how it breaks the heart of God when we come to him whining like a bunch of babies. Oh, I'm all alone. It's only me serving you. How that must break the heart of God. We're not all alone. We're not somebody special. All that was showing is Elijah's pride. Now, I understand the man was discouraged. We all get discouraged, too. But we should never be discouraged to the point of, I think I'm better off dead than alive. I think I'm the only one here. If we get to that point, how really self-focused have we become? This is why also I believe in our prayers, we should be praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, you know, as strange as this may sound, when I'm praying for the needs of others, it helps me realize my problems are quite small compared to what some others are going through sometimes. You ever notice that? And when I am the one going through problems and it seems like other people's problems are so small, then it's time to do a little self-evaluation saying, but it's big to them and it's a need that they have. And just because I've gone through that before and it seems so small to me now doesn't mean it, it was small to me then. Because let's face it, we've all been tempted sometimes we hear the needs of others of, really, you want me to pray about that? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's ever had those thoughts, I, 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 and I'm sorry I've had them, and I have to confess it to God that I've had them, but I, don't, I would imagine I'm not the only one that's ever had those thoughts. But you know what? It still should rather be an encouragement to me that they're asking me to pray for them in this situation that they're dealing with, and realize again... Even if it is something I've dealt with in the past, and it seems like it might be small compared to what I'm going through, it's still a struggle for them, and I'm not alone. It still should remind me I'm not alone, right? Elijah had experienced great victories, but he had a tremendous defeat and found himself in a place where God had to come to him and say, Elijah, what are you doing here? Christian, let's be careful not to get in a place where God has to come to us and say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. This is not where you're supposed to be. But rather, Christian, let's stay on the path of following Christ and being faithful to him. That rather God can look at us and say, you're where you belong. Let's be careful of discouragement in serving God because it will put you at a place where God may have to come to you and say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Be careful when we're on the mountaintops, experiencing the victories. Be careful to give Christ the praise that he deserves. And not to start to get the attitude of, hey, things are going really well. Or to start to get the attitude of, am I the only one fighting this battle? Don't allow those thoughts to creep in. And when they do, realize you're about to be an Elijah sitting by the juniper tree, complaining to God about your life. And when you notice those things happening, confess it to God quickly, rejoice in who He is, put the focus back on Him, and continue in the fight. Continue 
in the battle. Continue to be faithful to Him. Let us bow for a word of prayer.